0: Boag World is produced by headscape.co.uk. It's brought to you by Shopify, an e-commerce solution made by designers for designers. For more information, visit shopify.com forward slash World. On this week's show, we look at the harsh truths of corporate blogging, ask how luxury products can be sold online, and discuss whether it is the role of a web designer to challenge a client's business model. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Hi, Paul. How are you? Hello, Paul. I'm Paul. Paul and Marcus. Hello and welcome to the first ever BoeingWorld.com podcast. Go world. Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of BoeingWorld.com. Yeah. Welcome to the hundred and seventy eighth episode of Bible.com podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name's Paul Biag. My name's Marcus Lillington.
1: And we're both a little bit stuffed up in the nose today. Yeah, I, I blame the fact that um I smoke, basically. <laughs> I blame swine flu. Well, I was poorly, but as you as we all anyone who listened to last week's show would know. I <laughs> thought we like to go on we ought to rename this yeah. Boag's Ills or something. <laughs> Um, was was a- it was me, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I, the fact that I'm still not over it, I'm sure, is because yeah, uh, I'm unhealthy. You gave that up, didn't you, a while back? No, you promised on the show. I were, didn't. So you must have. That's different. There are two different things there. What's that? Prom- I didn't promise on the show. You did. I you did said not. you were going to
0: give up. You did. Stop drinking your coffee. <sighs> no, I didn't. I'm sure you did. Anyway, shall we do a podcast today? Uh, You've yeah. turned into my mother today, by the way. I have? Yeah, the way you talked to me earlier about the, the uh, not sitting close uh, enough to the mic and then your smugness <laughs> when, I, when it was proved that you might be right. So that's why I felt like I had to retaliate with the whole smoking thing and bring that up.
1: Yeah. I, yes, uh, I don't think we made enough of a deal out of your poor recording technique, did I, we?
0: I did have a <laughs> few issues when you were away. Yes. <laughs> It's not my strong seat <coughs> As we've already established, I am a genius, but there are limits to my genius.
1: I, was it genius? I can't remember. Humble. That's what, that's what. You, you, Paul. I am. I am a genius and humble. At humble the same at the same time. Same time yeah. Which, uh, I spat my coffee out. <laughs> i only do it to amuse you you and know and that it does you know work. that i don't really believe it yes yes i don't think i'm humble no. at all. <laughs> <Just this a laughs> stupid thing to say
0: anyway we've got quite a good show lined up as uh as i said in the introduction um we've got a, a brilliant brilliant blog post by me um followed by me answering some some questions and and passing my wisdom on to our dear listeners so that everybody can benefit from my genius. They sound like questions that I should have answered. but I, I know, have, you um, should have, but I couldn't get a hold of you because you were playing golf.
1: I was. It was great. Really good fun.
0: You're just you have, a, can have days you,
1: off, you know, is it is allowed. Yeah,
0: but you just turned into such a stereotypical fat cat <laughs> director. Or I like playing liked, golf. I like playing golf and buying golf champagne when I, for young I women. I suspect as well. Young and, and buying cigars. champagne for young women. Where did that come? from? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> that's what I feel like. <laughs> Fat cat directors should do. Yes, sort of. I'm not going there. I was talking to the lads this morning, you know, saying, you know, oh, well, you know what, what, what was your weekend? Did you have a good weekend? Kind of thing. And Dave, Dave, was saying, "Yeah, yeah, I'm really, I'm really done in now because I went to to this club called the Church, which was an old converted church on on Sunday. It was really good. I had a really good time, but I'm so tired now. And I just compared it to my life, where I actually fell asleep in real
1: church yesterday <laughs> morning. <laughs> oh, God, it's depressing. Yeah. I want to be a fat cat director. Yeah, well, I, this rock and roll lifestyle you think I lead yesterday was gardening, basically." Did lots of gardening, Yeah. you know? That's right. not really rock and roll, is it? Yeah, it depends. Is it? How can that? What? Well, yes, um, on my my marijuana crop. Yes, <laughs> there we go. Thank you. You did the hard work for me. Much appreciated. And yes, no, it was about... lots of trips to the dump and really boring oh, things. That like is that is quite sad. I, I've got... I know. I quite enjoyed it. That See,
0: I'm old. That. I'm not rock and roll at all. <laughs> Should we talk about web design? Oh, all right then. Okay, should we do the news then? Yes, let's do the news. Okay. Okay, so, news. Let's have a look what we've got on our list of delights today. Um, We start off by talking about the do's and don'ts of dark design. Hmm. Is that like the dark side of the horse?
1: (laughs) This caught my eye because I've always liked dark designs. Yes, by
0: dark designs we're talking about designs that dark yeah literally (laughs) yes but uh, yeah and i kind of do as well except you always hear these phrases thrown around that all users spend considerably less time on a website with a you know dark background than one with a light background Mm -hmm. um and so when you hear statements like that you kind of dismiss hard to read all those things you kind of dismiss the idea of dark designs, don't you? Really. Hmm. However, in reality, I think there is probably a place for darker designs because um, they can look elegant and extremely striking. Um, and let, they're not always appropriate, but there are times when they're the right solution. Yeah, I don't know what and when those times are,
1: but I'm sure they. I don't think that there is a, a type of site because I, I read that I read this article and I read quite a lot of the comments, um, and I I can't. Somebody basically said you know design good design is good design and if it's it might be that a dark design will work well for a particular type of site in you know a music site so yeah but the next music site along won't Mm -hmm. work well so it's just it's just it's a it's part of design it's um it's a choice you have to make as a designer. But Mm. I thought a lot of the stuff about colour in there was really good. The Mm. the examples about you can't have a too wide a colour palette were so obvious when it was really well put together. Yeah,
0: it's a really good article. Um, So uh, the article we're referring uh, referring to is one on the Web Designer's Depot, entitled The Do's and Don'ts of Dark Design. Um, And the post kind of looks at techniques, doesn't it, really, for, for creating dark sites that are both readable and appealing. So they include things like... Um, Use more white space. Well, I guess I should say dark space, but, you know, what I'm getting at. Spread it out more. Yeah. Um, Ensure text has ample kerning and leading. Um, Get the right text contrast. Um, Choosing the right fonts. And, as Marcus has already said, using a minimal color scheme. So the post also asks when a dark design is appropriate. And the conclusion was... um, if you require your site to appear elegant and creative, then a dark design might be appropriate for you. And the, the author actually goes on to show some stunning examples of, of both creative and elegant sites. You might want to check that out. Um, if you're considering maybe doing a dark design at some point, the article is definitely worth a read. Yep. Okay, next one. Um Okay, I'm beginning to feel a little bit like a stuck record on this, but um, we are going to talk about art direction again. Mm -hmm. I talked about this only on last week's show, um, and I think I've talked about it ample times even before that. And I know I've also written a lot on the importance of copywriting um, many times before. Um, So this week, I want to highlight a post on Boxes and Arrows entitled The Content Conundrum. Um, and in many ways, this article does feel a rehash of um, many of the previous posts that we've uh, highlighted on the show. And it does repeat some of the same old mantras. So it talks about include a copywriter from the beginning of the um, project life cycle. It talks about not using dummy Latin text, about working closely with content providers, about treating your content as important. However, there are a couple of things in the post that really stand out for me and, and make this article a bit more than many of the the others that have gone before. The first is it shows some brilliant examples of where things can go wrong. So it's got this image. You've just got to go and see the image. I think I'll put it in the show notes as well. com forward slash podcast forward slash 178. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you can look at this image yourself. It basically, it compares the signed off design comp with what was actually built. Right. Um, and the difference is striking. Um, to, and as soon as any designer sees it, they'll sigh and go, yes, I know that feeling. <laughs> and the design comp, you know, it's, uh, it's really kind of condensed and not too much copy and then a really strong call to action. On the actual build, the copy is like trebled in length. The call to action has been pushed off the bottom of the page and it, it's got no hierarchy or anything like that. Um, so it it kind of... It's really interesting. Go and look at that image. However, the most striking thing I think about the post is that instead of simply moaning about the state of art direction, it actually proposes some solutions that can be practically implemented by any designer. And that's the key that, you know, rather than saying, oh, you must hire a content editor, the stuff that you can do as a designer right now, even when the client won't pay for those extras. So those include, look for ways to remove unnecessary content, um, endeavor to use information graphics and visualization instead of copy. So in other words, mm-hmm. an image says a thousand words, um, write some content yourself, even if it's not perfect, um, and seek ways to collaborate with the content providers the so people will actually be providing the content and use real content, even if it's not going to be the final content in visual mockups. Um, I think it, what's good about this is the article recognizes that these are big challenges, um, but it, it resists the temptation to offer big solutions that can't be practically implemented, you know, on a lot of projects like, you know, insist that they have a copy editor or whatever. Um, instead, it suggests little changes that any designer can make to improve mm. things. So worth checking that one out.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a sort of strange thing because in the advertising world, a designer works hand in hand. Their partner is somebody that does the copy. Yeah. It's part of the design. Yeah, totally. Uh, and clients expect the designer to come up with the copy for them. Yeah. Not long, you know, great long swathes of yeah. you know, boring stuff. But the snappy, interesting, uh, get people to buy your product or yeah. look at your website is kind of in the client's mind because they've dealt with print I designers know, yeah. for years. That's what designers do. Mm. So it's kind of like it's it's almost our fault, not me and you personally, but we should be employing copywriters. Yeah.
0: But then I often think, because, I mean, we could do that. We could
1: yeah. go and employ a, a copywriter or a copy editor or whatever you want to call them. But would we be able to sell it? Well, in theory, we can. Because there's a lot of people out there who are expecting it. Because mm. I, I, It's a kind of brave thing we should do it. I, I noticed a couple, well, maybe only a year ago, that Zeldman was employing copywriters. Yeah. Um, at Happy Cog. And I just wonder how that has gone. I'll send yeah, him an email. I, yeah, find out. <laughs> um, you know, I know that
0: Clear left is a freelance copywriter, which we got. We mm. also use, Relly, um, who I think we've interviewed on the show at some point. Yes. Yeah. Um, but in some ways, I think until, until you get someone on board, you're not motivated enough to sell it into clients. Mm. It's interesting. Let's do it. Let's make the decision live on the show now. doesn't matter that Chris and Charlie aren't here. Yeah. We'll, we'll decide. Done. Okay. We're going to hire a copywriter. If you are a copywriter and looking for a full-time position, yeah. <laughs> send, send your CVs to chris.scott at He won't
1: know why you're sending him a CV, but he can anyway. Right. That reminds me, complete aside, I can't, obviously, in a, uh, a show many, many years ago, we said, jokingly, Underlined jokingly, send hate mail to Chris Scott. And because people don't listen to the shows, you know, when we do them, yeah. some people f- discover them later. He, he very occasionally gets hate mail <laughs> <laughs> where someone's taken, taken it literally. This is quite disconcerting because okay. he's quite a sensitive chap.
0: Right, okay. So if you are listening to this and you have previously <laughs> sent Chris hate mail, Now you need to write back to him and say you're very sorry Mm. and that you love him deeply. And if you've never sent him hate mail, then send him an email anyway to that email address I've just given. And just say something nice about him. Just encourage him. My default thing is, you know, you've got nice hair. Something like that. Uh,
1: No, you can't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Move on. Why? Move on now. What have I done now? Because he'll freak out, as you well know move on right um i know a lot of
0: <laughs> i've lost it now i know a lot of you listening to the show are aspiring designers so if you are yeah, me yeah, <laughs> yeah. um uh, sometimes if you are then sometimes you need to let go of those dreams and <laughs> accept that you're never gonna make it yep uh, <laughs> but if you're not willing to let go of those dreams yet check out so you think um you're thinking about becoming a designer um, which is a, a new post that catalogues the responses of a number of kind of well-known designers when asked to complete the following statement so in other words the, a load of designers were asked to complete this statement so you're thinking about becoming a designer if i could tell you only one thing about going into the field my advice would be dot dot
1: dot so they had to complete that phrase but it's simple isn't it go on then uh, designers are born not made <laughs> she is don't know whether
0: I agree with that one
1: I can say these things because I'm not one
0: yeah um, so um, the answers really resonated with me and I have to say I wholeheartedly agreed with everything said in the post and they, the kind of answers basically fell into three categories um, focus on empathy and understanding problems embrace the unfamiliar to innovate and be passionate um, each category is accommodated accommodated <laughs> is uh, accompanied by some choice quotes and a short video from the person being quoted I think my favourite quote um, is by Jennifer Bove Bove Bove, Bove? Mm, yeah Bove, Bove? Mm. who says being empathetic empathetic oh god empathetic yes uh, helps designers create things that move people and I have to say I think that empathy um, with users is by far the most important skill any designer should have um, without it you may create something that's very pretty, but it will serve no meaningful purpose. So, yeah, good post. Check it out if you're thinking about becoming a designer or just wanting to improve. Our final news story today in what is a very news, uh, sorry, designer-centric news section is 18 Adobe Air apps for designers. I do apologize. Normally, I try and have a nice mix of techie and website owners and designers, but it seems to have been all designer stuff this week. Um, As the name suggests, this site point post lists eighteen air applications that might be useful when designing a site. Um, Unsurprisingly, the list is dominated by tools that help with color selection. It seems like whether everybody from cooler to uh, color lover lover, um, has to have a app really that uh, allows you to select colors. All of these sites seem to be the same. But anyway, um, however, the list does not end with just colour selection. There's also a lot of other tools, including measuring tools that allow you to measure screen elements, flex tools, vector editing tools, um, image resizers, image editors, font tools, icon generators, screen capture tools. The list goes on. Um, It's a great list, and it's um, amazing what can be done with Adobe Air, really. It's kind of shown off how cool that is. That's another thing that I want to build one day. Although Mm. we have done an Adobe Air app, Yes, we have, and I'm struggling to remember what it is. It's our, our Oh, site we, yeah, the Site Watcher. Of yeah, it is, that yeah. tells you when a site goes down. Yeah. So there you go. That's the news for today. Shall we move on to our feature? Let's. BirdWife.com. Okay, so before we move on to our feature for today, I'd like to thank Shopify that um, sponsor this show. Um, I really appreciate them taking the time to sponsor us and encourage us in what we're doing. Um, And each week I'm trying to quickly mention something that those guys do that's of interest and tell you a little bit more about their product because it's all well and good referring to them at the beginning of the show but if you don't know what it is it it doesn't really help very much so they're an e-commerce provider so basically it's an easy way to add e-commerce to any site and one of the things that um, I particularly like about Shopify is the fact that it's a hosted service Um, so instead of having to set up and configure everything on your own server, you can, um, you know, and they might have an existing site that doesn't support any particular server side coding or whatever else. You can use Shopify and it's all hosted and managed for you. Of course, the other big advantage of that is it means that you don't have the horrible management of of dealing with payment gateways and, and all of that kind of gubbins that goes with e-commerce. It all is nice and easy and straightforward and you can set up an e-commerce site in a matter of minutes really. So um, check them out. Uh, we'd, we'd appreciate that because um, obviously they support the show and want to know that um people actually listen to it. <laughs> so go to shopify.com forward slash Boag world. Okay. Our feature for today is a blog post that I wrote Um, for Smashing Magazine called The 10 Harsh Truths About Corporate Blogging. Um, And this came about because it seems like every company in Western civilization seems to have a blog these days. But I've got mixed feelings about really whether they're worth it or not, and why so many of them are absolutely terrible. Um, And I've come to the conclusion that most organizations blog simply because they feel they should... Um, many marketing departments really fail to get blogging. Um, and so they end up with a poorly visited blog with very few comments on it. And because the blog f- is failing to perform, they conclude that blogging is an inf- ineffective marketing tool and then either remove it or they leave it to languish, which is even worse. Um, However, I don't think it needs to be this way. Corporate blogs can be a powerful communication tool that builds brand awareness and nurtures a sense of engagement. And you only need to look at vibrant communities um, that surround blogs like the 37 Signals blog to know that corporate blogging can work. Hmm. So this post and and this feature really asks a very simple question. Why are most corporate blogs failing and why do do the few that do succeed, succeed? Um, so to do this I think we need to face a few harsh truths and that's what I want to talk through okay number one is a blog is not a magical gener- you know traffic generation machine um, and this almost goes back to the the when companies first started launching websites back in the day um, that it was perceived as a marketing channel that would generate leads and they had that kind of build it and they will come mentality but over time um, organizations realize that a website is more like a storefront. A few p- people might wander in off the street, but most of the time you need to advertise to attract trade. But many marketing departments are making a similar mistake when it comes to corporate blogs, and they perceive them as a way to generate new traffic when that's not really their primary role. Now, admittedly, key- the keyword heavy nature of a blog will help your organic listings, but that's a kind of secondary benefit, really. The real role of a blog... And this is the thing that I think people need to grasp. The real role of a blog is to generate repeat traffic. And repeat traffic is important, as we've said before on the show, because they're more likely to complete calls to action. A successful blog will build up a regular readership who will um, begin to, uh, you know, will be constantly reminded of your brand and your products and stuff like that as they're reading your blog. Of course, building a readership takes time. And that brings me on to the second point, which is blogging takes a, long time, a long-term commitment. Building a readership um, is a long-term commitment. It can take months for users to recognize your blog is a consistent source of useful information. Um, and only when they start visiting it regularly are they going to recommend it to others. But it doesn't just take time. It also takes commitment. And that means posting regularly into a schedule. Users are more likely to visit your blog if they know that you're going to release on a certain day of the week or whatever else. In the same way as people visit my blog because they know that every Wednesday a show comes out. Hmm. Of course, ultimately, um, you want them to subscribe so that they don't need to continually check back for new content. And that brings me on to my biggest bugbear, which are um, uh, blogs that allow you to subscribe either via, via RSS or via email. Um, But when you do, you only get a teaser of the article. You don't get the whole article. Uh, Subscription is really important because it's a a crucial step in engaging readers. Um, That's because the user is effectively giving you permission to remind them about your site and your brand. Um, And it strikes me as remarkable that the organizations fail to grasp this opportunity. Um, And instead of using it as a chance to push content to the user, they only provide these teasers. Um, in the hope that users will then take an action to click through and view the whole post. And I think it's born out of a false belief that users need to see your site, and they don't. Unless your revenue is driven by site advertising, there's no need for a user to click through to read your blog. The purpose of a corporate blog is to build and maintain brand awareness while motivating users to engage. None of that needs to happen on your site. A blog post itself is able to build and maintain brand awareness, while requests for comments and calls to action motivate users to engage. A user does not need to see the rest of your site to respond to the copy of a blog post. Of course, for that to be true, the post has to be engaging. That brings us on to point number four. The most successful blogs are a lot more than just a broadcast tool. There are dialogue between the individual within your organization that is posting the blog and your users and it's important to listen as well as speak. Unfortunately, the majority of corporate blogs fail to engage and instead of uh, instead they focus on telling their readers how great their products and services are. Rarely do they ask for feedback or ask questions. In fact, it's not unusual for companies to actually disable com- uh, commenting on a blog for fear of criticism. Instead, you should be encouraging users to contribute to your blog through comments and constructive criticism. It's a superb opportunity to get the kind of feedback that many organisations pay market research companies a lot of money for. Mm. Part of the problem is that most corporate blogs offer nothing more than rehashed press releases. And that brings me on to the fifth point, which is that, in my opinion, press releases shouldn't appear on a blog. Setting aside the debate over whether press releases have any kind of role in today's user uh, web-centric world, um, whether they do or they don't, whether we should still be producing uh, press uh, releases or not, you need to realize that a press release performs a different role to that of a corporate blog. As the name implies, a press release is meant um, for professional journalists. It's designed to encourage journalists to write about your product or service. It's not designed for your customers. A blog, on the other hand, is meant to be read by prospective and existing customers. It should be engaging, informative, and helpful. So when writing a blog post, you should always have the end reader in mind. What will they learn? What insights will they be given into who you are and what you do? How will it help build a relationship with your, uh, your users? It should never simply uh, be a copy and paste job from a press release or a news story. The other problem with press releases is they're effectively corporate statements and a blog really should have a more personal tone. That brings me on to point six, which is that the harsh truth of the matter is, is you're sounding like a faceless corporation. People don't like interacting with organisations, corporations or machines. People like conversing with people One of the things that I've learned from selling web design services is that once people have established that you offer a good service at a reasonable price, the next thing they care about is you. Do they like you? Do they trust you? Um, Do they think they can work with you? People don't like, um, trust, or want to work with a corporation. We associate those feelings with individuals and not companies. It is therefore important that your corporate blog is about the people within your organisation and not necessarily the organisation itself. Your blog should focus on different people and their role, the roles that they perform within your company. They should be able to demonstrate some of the personality um, of those people as well as share their expertise. A blog is a place um, to let readers see behind the marketing spin and glimpse of real people within your organisation. And that brings us on to point seven, which is that you need to be willing to show your failings and your weaknesses. If you're a marketer listening to this, this all might sound a bit scary. It's hard to control the message when you're blogging. Um, you have multiple bloggers from across the organization who are effectively becoming corporate spokespeople. Um, and you're allowing users to publicly criticize you on your own blog. You know, this is a long way from kind of traditional marketing. However, today's consumers are really savvy and they're distrustful of traditional marketing and sense when they're being sold out. So a soft approach is required um, that feels more real and less managed. And one part of this is admitting your mistakes. Dell constantly ignored criticism they were receiving about poor customer support. And they ignored the fact that the, the web gives a voice to all of their disgruntled um, customers. Until eventually one disgruntled customer stirred up a major PR nightmare with a single post entitled Dell Lies and Dell Sucks. (laughs) Uh, Contrast this with the warts and all approach adopted by the photo sharing site Flickr. Um, When faced with community criticism over poor performance on their website, they wrote what I think is probably the best um, blog post of all time, which was entitled Sometimes We Suck. They acknowledged the problem and laid out their plans for correcting it. And this kind of non-traditional approach um, to brand image allowed um, Flickr to quickly diffuse the situation that could have grown out of control. Perhaps when it comes to corporate blogging, marketing is actually not the best um, group of people um, to handle the task. Mm. And that brings us on to point eight. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that all bloggers should be banned from blogging. Sorry, all marketers even should be banned from blogging. What I am saying is that traditional marketing skills are not always best suited to the medium. Because blogging should be personal, transparent and not shy away from organisational flaws, it can seem an uncomfortable communication tool for marketeers. Also, the traditional writing style of many marketeers doesn't fit well with the informal style of successful blogs. If you're a marketer responsible for your corporate blog, look for ways to encourage others within your organisation to blog. Think of yourselves as an editor rather than an author. Target people who are particularly knowledgeable or already act as spokespeople for the organisation. Encourage them to blog and you act as a copy editor, tweaking and refining what they write. You may find it uh, it's hard to encourage others to blog because they're either busy or, um, or just feel reluctant or scared. So try interviewing them instead. You can turn those interviews into blog posts and hopefully encourage them to respond to the comments. But remember, whether you're posting an interview or an article, don't expect too much from your reader. And that's my n- ninth point. Most of the corporate blogs I've read are a bit like this post. (laughs) They're long, text-heavy and boring. (laughs) Um, They take considerable commitment to wade through. So in short, they're asking too much from the reader. With most um, blogs online, uh, you need your post to stand out from the crowd. And always ensure that your user can get the gist of what you're saying by just scanning the post. And this, this feature, if you read it as a blog post, actually does that. And this can be achieved using a number of techniques. Number 1 is you summarize your post at the beginning and in the title. Don't leave leave users guessing as to what the subject is. Be controversial and grab users attention. Use headings as a way of grabbing attention and summarizing content and use images to break up and communicate key points. You could also talk about lists and other techniques as well. Do not feed all of your po- sorry, do not feel that all of your posts need to be an essay. Short posts um, that propose a question or draw a reader's attention to another site are just as engaging. Anything that has value to your user is worth posting about. Finally, remember that not all blog posts need to be textual. Consider buying a flip cam and recording some video interviews uh, with people around the company. Record an audio interview um, or post some photographs from a corporate event. Just don't expect users to read a lot of copy. Uh, the only people who are going to do that are your competition. And this brings me on to the last, and I think probably the most important point I want to raise, which is your competitors will read your blog, get over it. I'm amazed at how many organisations will censor um, their corporate blogs um, because they're worried about their competi- that their competition will read it and rip off their expertise and ideas. And although it is true that um, your competition will do exactly that, you got to ask yourself, what's the alternative? One of the primary opportunities of a blog um, is to provide an, uh, a chance for you to demonstrate your expertise. People will be motivated to buy from you because you un- uh, that they understand that you know your stuff. However, if you don't talk about your expertise, how will they know? You might have the, be, be the best in your field, but if nobody knows it, then what's the point? I write about my knowledge of web design all the time, I know that many of those that read my posts or listen to this podcast are actually my competitors and that some of them might even learn from some of the stuff that I say. However, I know that a lot of prospective clients also read and listen to my content as well. And so should I silence myself for being feared of, for fear of being copied or should I prove to my clients that I know what I'm talking about? I think the, the answer is fairly obvious, to be honest. Many organisations are still finding their voice online and corporate blogging is one way to achieve this. So it's not really surprising that people are still making mistakes. The secret to success is accepting that a blog is not a traditional marketing tool. Um, And in my opinion, it it has more in common with customer service than it does with marketing. Once you realise that um, (laughs) and release it from the shackles of press releases and corporate news, you'll begin to see a real return on investment from your blog. So there we go, there's a few thoughts on corporate
1: blogging. Mm.
0: What's that? Mm. That sounds like you disagree with me. I don't like it when uh, you No,
1: no, me. no. I I do agree with quite with pretty much all of that. I think the problem with corporate blogging is the fact that the vast majority exists exist because someone has said, oh, it'll improve your search engine rankings if you yeah. do this. Uh, no, that's not to say that that doesn't mean to say it can it can bring value. But it's always, I was going to say it's always, the, the only ones that work are where you've got people contributing to the blog who like blogging. Yeah. that's it. And if if you're just doing it um, because you feel you ought to yeah. and nobody really wants to do it, then you're wasting your time and you're probably actually damaging Yeah, It's exactly the same
0: with things like Twitter. Mm. You know, if there isn't someone within your organisation that's actually really into Twitter and enjoys it. Yeah, then you're wasting your time. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, should we do our, our listener feedback? So we've got two listener questions today and I'm going to read them to you, Marcus, because I think you want to answer them. Okay. <laughs> Not that you've actually seen them or read them. I haven't thought about them at all. No, no. great. Here we go. Now we'll do it together. Um, so the first one um, is from Ashley Hart, who writes, as a web designer, you come across a lot of startup companies. Um, uh, something uh, Sometimes... You can see that by altering their concept just slightly, they'll be more successful. Is that your place to tell them? Is it your place to tell them? Would it help or is it just going to annoy them? What's
1: your opinion? Absolutely. Tell them what you think. They can can choose to ignore you. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, uh, The only thing I would say that you might want to possibly guard against that is if it means... Losing the work <laughs> Yes you don't well, need a website You need a printed catalogue Well actually I have said so yeah, I, have I have told that. people many times They don't need a website Or they don't need a new website Yeah um, Because you're only just You're going into a huge Pond of horrors Pond? Pond of horrors I was thinking Pond nasty. of horrors Perhaps you ought to change The title of this episode To Pond of horrors I can't like that I'm thinking sort of You know nasty Bitey fish um, I don't know where that came from <laughs> I really don't know I'm not well Um <laughs> But I I guess if if it means that you're going to change, you know, if your suggestion is going to mean that the work you do is going to be way more complicated and therefore more expensive and therefore less likely for them, for the people who who if it's a startup for example don't have that kind of budget yeah then you might want to think about not selling it to them too hard you might it's say maybe this is where we should be aiming yeah but it's if at the start of um you know start of discussions if you're thinking well you really really should be doing that and it's something that can easily be pulled in into the into the project you're about to do yeah. then yeah why wouldn't you say it
0: i mean i think I mean, my, my kind of attitude is that people are <laughs> hiring you for a lot more than just your skills in Photoshop. You yeah. know, they're, they're hiring you for your knowledge of the web. Mm-hmm. And sometimes an organi- the, the, the structure and business of an organization doesn't necessarily always translate well onto the web and that making some kind of tweak or or change would enable it to work so much better. So... I think it's your responsibility to communicate that as the web expert. Also, to be honest, I mean, we've used it as a way to differentiate in the pitch process, haven't we? Mm -hmm. That clients tend to warm towards the supplier that is full of ideas and and willing to work with them rather than, you know, just do whatever they ask. And to turn around and say,
1: hey, wouldn't it be good if we did this and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing? I think that's quite a good selling point. You have to, yeah. I mean, you could take it a step. We've never done this. But I guess if you think... If you're looking at um, a company's business plan or their idea, and you think that what you you can add to it is so good, and will make it so much better, then you could, you know, look to go into partnership with them. Yeah. I mean that again, we're harping back to the ad agency thing. They used to basically say say to companies, "We will what, the work we're going to do is going to make I don't know ten million pounds, and we'll charge you a million pounds for it." Yeah. Rather than huh? these are our fixed fees, uh-huh. which is how we tend to work.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've had people approach us and suggest we do that.
1: Yeah, I was going to move on to sort of be very guarded. Yeah. If it comes on. the other way. Be guarded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. easy to get sucked into hair brain schemes. Yeah, we've never done that. I think it has to be from your, you, you the agency, you, the designer, has to have the idea. Then it's your, you know, it, yeah. it's your idea. But if you get people coming to you saying, we've got this great new idea for a startup, but we've got no money and we'd like you to. Yeah. Do loads of work for free, then and it, no, don't do it's that. It's how
0: to, it's how to as well in a situation like that. So if we came up with a great idea for the, um, I don't know, Wiltshire Fon Foods, one of our big clients, mm-hmm. um, they didn't have a budget for it. We said we would do the work on spec in return for X percent of the profits. Mm-hmm. It has to be measurable, doesn't it? You have to be able to measure that success. Absolutely. Unaffected by other criteria. Because mm. around it, you know, even if, like on of Farm Foods example, which is an e-commerce site, you'd think, well, it'd be easy because you could see the increase. But it mm. depends on what their advertising spend is. If they drop their advertising spend over that period, it would skew the results. So it's actually quite difficult to kind of take that approach, I think. It is. But going back to the original question of should you, you know, should you say something if you, you know, if you think you can improve their business model, absolutely yes. But there is a line here, um, you know, definitely off of ice, but... Ultimately, it's down to the client to decide whether they accept that advice or not. Yeah. Um, so always remember that as a web designer, you might not have all the facts. Um, there might, of- there are often good reasons why a client chooses to ignore your advice and do something different. Um, uh, and at the end of the day, it's their business. They can
1: do what they want with it. Mm-hmm. And, and the one final thing I'll say to that is if what they're doing you really, really, really disagree with, you're, you can still walk away from yeah. that. Yeah, it's your you choice. Know. Yeah, it's... So hey, that's done um, that one. Let's let's move on
0: to Bruno and uh, Bruno's question, which now just makes me think of that film. Oh, I wouldn't watch that film. I haven't it really watched is. it, but um, but that it shows my age. It yeah, just, we've reached. I age. know
1: it would annoy me. Yeah, I just know it. Yeah, so, oh, my okay.
0: the, the my youth group are just they, that's all they talk about. It's a stupid film. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Young people today, <laughs> <laughs> they're all stupid. All of them. So this is quite an interesting question. Luxury brands um, reluctantly build online shops and are quite shy about investing in e-commerce since they don't see any ROI. What uh, more should they do to make real income from the internet? Um, My response to this is that the answer to this question very much depends on the product. So for example, I might be reluctant to buy a new bed online. I don't know whether that counts as a luxury product, depends on how luxury the bed is i Mm -hmm. guess um because i wouldn't be able to try it i wouldn't be able to lie on it and see if it's comfortable however i would happily buy a new macbook online which i presume
1: you would define as a luxury product yeah it's a funny one though isn't it i mean why would you buy it um why would you be happy to buy a macbook online because they're all the same yeah yeah you know that they're, they're good um but would you be willing to be buy a bmw online they're all the same. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Perhaps I think I possibly would. Well, no, because in that case, you know, when buying a car, you're never paying the sticker price. So you want to go and haggle. Yeah. yeah. So I, but I actually don't think it is just about the product. As I, I wrote this sentence and then immediately contradicted myself, <laughs> um, because I think it's also to do with the purchaser. Right. So although I would be happy to buy a MacBook online because I have bought them before and I know what they're like. My dad, who is considering buying his
1: first Mac, would mm. not. Yeah, and yeah, that's more. Yeah, that makes sense. But would he buy his next one online? Probably. But yes. So, yeah, but it it's is all con- about trying things out. That's yeah, it, it is, is, I guess. And well, I mean, what I kind of concluded
0: ultimately is about risk. The higher the risk, because buying a luxury good, good it is good. Product, luxury Luxry, product. Luxury good, I yeah. like that. Um, in the
1: singular. Yeah,
0: I know. <laughs> um You know, because there's a higher risk, because it's a more expensive product, um, that kind of puts people off. Um There's more to lose if things go wrong. But equally, if you're missing a key piece of information about that product, like the comfort of the bed, or the difference between a Mac and a PC, then the risk is also higher. Mm. So it's all about scales of risk. Therefore, I think the key to selling luxury goods is about two things it's about removing real risk and reassuring users about false risk or the perception of risk Hmm. so removing real risk is relatively easy you can offer things like money-back guarantees and you can provide detailed information about the product to make sure that everything that anybody wants to know is there Um, and also I think making returns really easy makes a huge difference because a lot of people offer money-back guarantees, Mm. but actually you think, well, returning is a bit of a pain. And I think with luxury goods, let's say if you bought a bed, and you think, well, how am I going to return that? Mm. You know, you have to offer inclusive in the price. If you want to return it, someone will come and pick it up, deal with it all for you kind of thing. You've got to make it really easy Mm. for the returns. I mean, I remember uh, um, I had to return a... A laptop that I bought once, and you know the the courier. uh, No, I I went for a replacement in the end. That was it. The courier uh, turned up with the new laptop, and I put my old one in the box, and he went away with it. Hmm. See, that's that's kind of really good, really simple. You know that I think that does the trick. So, so there's there's real risk issues because you know it's not just about money; it's also about time and the hassle and that kind of thing. But then there's the reassuring users about perceived false risks. And I think this is a tricky area. Ultimately, I think that's where human the human touch comes in. And often with luxury goods, um, I think it's necessary to back up the online transaction process with some kind of human customer service. You know, whether that's a 24 hours helpline, um, you know, really good email support, live chat, all of that kind of stuff. Basically, people need to be able to speak to a real human being To reassure themselves um, and get answers to their questions. And I think there's also a perception that if I can get a really good answer at the pre-sales stage, if anything goes wrong afterwards, I'm going to get really good help afterwards. Um, So I think selling luxury
1: goods online is not impossible. You just need to work a little bit harder. I'd be interested to know how um, things like expensive watches are sold online, if they are at all. Mm. Because they're easy to you could easily send them out via courier. Yep. Um, you know, we go back to the all Rolexes are, are Rolexes. You yep. know it's going to be a good thing. So if you've got a really nice website that can allow you to turn it round and view it yep. in 3D and you can go, oh, but I'm you so. Do like,
0: you do like putting a watch on your wrist. Well, and- definitely.
1: But if you're Mr. Super Rich and, you know,
0: yeah. it'd be easy. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I, I think that the common thing that luxury goods can play off of is you selling online that people go into shops and they look yeah and then they go and buy it online because it's cheaper
1: cheaper yeah i mean that's always the the main uh, the main criteria why people do buy online rather than going mm. into the shop because they can get it 10% cheaper usually
0: with yes with some things i also buy online out of laziness and not
1: liking to leave the house. Well, that's true. That's why I was thinking about my rich person who could afford to buy a Rolex. It's like, they well, I can't be bothered yeah. to go out to the shop. I'll just buy one here. But surely he
0: gets his personal assistant. Exactly, to buy it yes, The butler goes to buy it for him. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Okay, so that about wraps up this week's show, except obviously Marcus's lovely
1: joke. No, I haven't got any. You haven't got any? Nope. I asked people to send me jokes and nobody did.
0: Right. Well, then we will punish
1: the listener <laughs> by not giving them a joke or reward them,
0: depending on how you look at it. Exactly. So thank you very much for listening to this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Next week, you have Ryan and Paul back as as I'm going to sit in the field in the
1: rain and Marcus can't be bothered.
0: Although you might. You were talking about doing a show with
1: them, weren't you? Yeah, I could do that. I need to speak to Ryan anyway, so I can be... In on their show, I suppose. Ooh, exciting stuff! So, you missing out on the next two weeks, Paul? Yes, just
0: one. Two weeks. So, uh, this week I'm sitting in the field. The following week, I you're getting over it. I'm getting over that. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, fundamentally, yes, that's what I'm doing. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Goodbye. Bye. Hello, world of Boag. being on David Letterman. the show, visit bowedworld.com forward slash contact, call 020 8133 5122, or join our forum at bowedworld.com forward slash forum.